0: Welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on Ramdas Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a talk I had with Master Herbalist and Healer Yulia Graves. I was first introduced to Yulia through my friend and Acupuncturist Mia Hatkes, who invited me to a workshop. That Yulia was giving at Flower Power in the East Village in New York City. And I had such a great experience with her flower essences and from studying briefly with her and working with her one on one. She has so much wisdom uh, to share, or not just only around plant medicine and healing, but how all of that works together on the spiritual path for women and men alike. So we talked already way last fall, and this conversation has been uh, sitting here on my computer, and it felt like the right moment to share it with you, so I hope that you will enjoy it and take a moment to go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com, where you will find uh, the Amazon link to purchase Yulia's books, and... Link to her website, lilycircle.com, where you can learn more about her flower essence offerings and other plant teachings. Please also remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. And thanks very much for listening. Okay, so I'm here today with a master herbalist, flower essence creator, healer, and friend, Yulia Graves. I'm in Paris, so she's in Provence, and um we're going to get right to it, so I'm gonna start Yulia by just letting you tell a little bit about your own path and and what you're what you're doing today mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I think I was. Very lucky in that I was born in 1966 in Germany, which was a time when that was not a spiritual country. The hippie movement was in the U.S. and not really in Europe, and I was in a very, very uh, bourgeois setting. However, luckily, and by the power of my karma, I happened to be in a neighborhood where of the women decided to start doing transcendental meditation, according to Maharishi Yogi. And one of our neighbors, she was doing yoga. And then when I say this to people, they imagine, again, these hippie women. They were not hippie women. They were complete middle-class housewives, stay at home and look after the kids, kind of a setup. So because of that, when I was 11, I was introduced to... TM, transcendental meditation. And I had a very, very great interest in that. I had an inner voice really saying like, meditation is your life. And I had an expectation of the initiation that as an 11 year old from that culture, I could not put into words. However, then, you know, at that time, it so happened my hometown was the European center for transcendental meditation. still the initiation had been shortened down to nothing. There was no ritual. And I remember, I think this was a karmic mem- memory of initiation, I remember walking out as this 11 year old child going like, there was no initiation, what just happened? She just told me how to meditate. So, um I really loved the meditation and it had very strong effect on me immediately, on my mind in terms of experiences of light and expansion. However, I am the youngest and at that time I was 11. I wasn't fully grown. I was also the smallest and weakest in a large dysfunctional family. And I noticed very much on meditating. Um, I had You know, We had to sleep with the window open, so it was freezing waking up in the winter. In my room, I was supposed to sit for 20 minutes in my jammies. I said to my mother, can I have a blanket to wrap myself in? She thought that was a complete waste of money. I didn't have a proper place to sit in. My bed had a mattress that hangs through, so I was hanging there under the shelf, freezing, having all these mystical experiences that I had no context for. In my culture, from my background, that I didn't even know I could talk to the meditation teacher about because my mother was the go-between. You know, when you're a child being initiated, your mother is the mediator between you and the teacher. And there was, after a couple of weeks, there there was a voice in me that said, you can't keep doing this. And it kind of broke my heart. But I had the wisdom to stop. Because it just, you know, it's like trying to reach enlightenment while you're in a U.S. high-security prison being attacked, you know, having attempts on your life. You shouldn't be doing this. It's not the place to open up.
0: And such a disconnect, too, to be offered that and then to be denied the support around it, yeah.
1: Yes, I don't think they imagine children having spiritual experiences much, Mm. So um, I waited until I was 18 and I moved away from home. And basically the next week I went back to the meditation teacher um, because I figured, well, I'm 18 now, now I can go without my mom. And I asked her to teach me again. But she, yeah, so she showed me again. And from then on I started my daily meditation practice. And because I no longer lived at home, I had just moved out, it was actually possible. The same thing happened. I immediately had very strong experiences of light expansion, deep inner peace. I didn't know at that time what it was because, again, there was no cultural context whatsoever. I you know, I had a lot of experiences of chakras opening. It wasn't until, I think, five, six years later possibly more that I even heard the term chakra for the first time. So it was all really out of cultural context. And um, these experiences became so strong that I think about two years later, I went back to the meditation teacher and described, and I think she was completely helpless. I can't explain this, but she said to me, stop meditating and go jogging. So I had the second heartbreak of of what's that you know i I felt that it was wrong it was a very difficult experience for me to um disobey her as my meditation teacher and i said i'm not going to stop i'm not going to go jogging Hmm. um and it wasn't because i wasn't exercising i was an active performing dancer and i was biking probably the equivalent of 10 to 15 miles a day Hmm. so i didn't see the point in jogging and um, no explanation. So from then on, I started to meditate by myself, trying to be my own teacher. This wasn't by choice. It was just because I had no other option. Hmm. And I did that for many years with, again, a lot of very strong internal experiences for which, because I was very interested in spirituality and I slowly you know, heard more things, understood more. New Age was slowly coming to Germany. Um, I was able to find a context for it, and then at a certain point, actually, somebody gave me two tapes of Ramdas giving mm-hmm. talks, and that was incredibly helpful. It was like, wow! Suddenly, you know, somebody gave me some kind of a context for something at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the things Ramdas says on these tapes is. You know, at a certain point in your life, you have to go look for spiritual tradition. You know, you have to go around and sample on the spiritual buffet. But then you also have to make up your mind and choose your tradition. Huh. So I decided I should probably be, try to find the spiritual buffet and start sampling. <laughs> um, which is what I did then. I moved to FinTom, which is a spiritual- it's a spiritual community in northern scotland with practitioners from all different spiritual traditions oh, christianity said i had as mm-hmm.
0: a teenager myself i had fantasized about about that place <laughs>
1: right and it was good for me because it's very based also in working with plants mm-hmm. and i've worked with healing plants since childhood because my mother is an herbalist and she trained me since i was a child um so that was a good fit for me. And there, very, very quickly, I mean, it's so funny that you mentioned, you just mentioned Jack Cornfield. One of the first books that somebody gave to me there was Jack Cornfield's um, mm-hmm. Heart of Wisdom. And the first page says, you know, when you're on the spiritual path, you really have to make up your mind what you really want to do in life. And I was sitting under a pine tree and I just looked up in the sky and I said, I want to go to Nepal, which just popped into my mind in that moment. So within the next couple of weeks, I got myself on a trip of people from Findhorn. I had just moved there to Nepal and against the plans of that trip, landed in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery where they had just started their huge annual meditation calls and they wouldn't admit me because I wasn't even a Tibetan Buddhist and the nuns at the registrations they were really really trying to get rid of me and i said no but i had a dream i did have a visionary dream also i said like i'm supposed to be here and they were like oh god this deluded woman what are we going to do with her (laughs) they very very begrudgingly let me join but for me it was a true coming home and really finding my spiritual tradition and they were very shocked actually that had never happened that somebody had turned out up out of the blue for such a strict retreat with such if i may say so heavy spiritual teachings and fit in you know like a hand in a glove and just loved every single bit of it and i walked out a tibetan buddhist
0: so just in this story is this i'm happy to hear this story the what do you think gave you that strength to to follow all those those callings, each of those steps to to stop meditating, to start meditating again, to get yourself to, find you know, there's something in you or where did that come from in you that you were able to do that?
1: Well, I really am convinced that, you know, you come in with your own karma and
0: your imprints of your past
1: life. And, you know, it wasn't until then, much later that I started to see that there had been signs all along in my life. For instance, one of my two godparents had grown up in Burma, and for my christening, she gave me a little carved Buddha. And my place at the table at home was across a porcelain Kuan Yin statue that my parents had for mere decoration, but I was always looking at Kuan Yin. And my father, in his surgery, had a Saraswati an antique indian saraswati statue and Mm -hmm. when i was four or five i loved the statue so much and all i knew about the statue was it's from india that i said to my dad dad can't we all move to india and you'll be (laughs) the poor people there and he was horrified Mm -hmm. so I i also mentally was not like the rest of my family he actually said to me the natives are going to get angry and they will all kill us that was it were his exact words i was completely shocked and horrified and there was actually a time um as i was meditating already before i found tibetan buddhism officially when i had heard about tara and i became obsessed about tara i would this is all before the internet people don't understand any more how that was right but I would go into libraries and pull books off the shelf and look in the register in the back of the, if they would say anything about Tara because I didn't even know who she was. I was just somehow compelled to look for her. Hmm. And when I moved to Finton they actually have a stone with Tara's mantraic seed syllable carved on it.
0: Hmm.
1: And I would just stand and pray and start to prostrate. I didn't even know I was prostrating. It was just very deep karmic memories welling up from another life. All these things also when I was a child I always really really wanted to go to Manjushri's mountain in China. Hmm. I kept on saying the Chinese will arrest me, throw me in prison and kill me and I will die without my family knowing where I am. Hmm. So I think that that's actually what happened in my last night life, because I'm hmm. born at the same time, you know, like within a year after the Chinese massively killed people in Tibet. Hmm. And there are a lot of parallel cases like that. So at that time, the Chinese were massively killing the Tibetans, really reducing population and the birth rate
0: hmm.
1: through, you know, um, criminal you know, two obligations of women. Hmm. That was a politics to to keep the population down. So you couldn't reincarnate in that culture at that time. So then the next thing is a phenomenon that, you know, so many of my generation pop up worldwide and want to be Tibetan Buddhists. Hmm. So that's an intellectualization, but it's definitely clear to me that my mind was very different from when I was born from the rest of the people in my family. I was very inclined to do different things. I just wasn't like them.
0: so. And that really is the spiritual journey. Yes. And with this strong spirit leading you. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I can relate, too, to feeling... I mean, I used to look in the drawers of my parents' bedrooms for my adoption papers because I was sure that I couldn't have been from this family, but yeah. not that they're, ter- is a ter- I mean, they're a lovely family, but I felt so different from them. I wasn't adopted, but I, that, that, kind of, that kind of spiritual pull, I can relate to that being more powerful than my own egoic desires.
1: Right. And it's not that I didn't try Christianity. So I grew up in northern Germany, which is largely Protestant, which translates into atheist. So nobody was essentially practicing. And um, I really, even as a child, I'd go to church every now and then and really sit there and try to get something spiritual. And each time I just couldn't find anything spiritual in it. The pastor didn't believe in God, his wife was suicidal. I mean, there wasn't much. And then when I had confirmation classes, you know, the the smartest thing we got to learn is that the Bible is a library because it contains more than one book. And I felt so insulted in my spirituality. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, you know, looking at the the pastor thinking, you honestly think that that's all I want to know about God and and spirituality? And I remember getting so enraged, so we get confirmed at 14, that I read the whole Bible front to back. I mean, I read the whole thing. I said, okay, I'm going to find out for myself. But even then, it was not for me. Obviously, it wasn't my the right fit for me, Christianity. It didn't speak to me in the way that Eastern philosophies or Buddhism speaks. So... Um, I remember being pretty disappointed with the Bible. I had gone to Bible class as a young child mm. every Sunday for fun mm. and to draw pictures. And I didn't really find out anything about Jesus I didn't already know. So I gave Christianity a thorough try.
0: Yeah, yeah. I certainly would found, would have been more inclined to find other things, I'm sure, had I not been so drawn to music. Because definitely in the Christian church that's what kept me coming back and that's where I found spirit oh, was through singing and, and playing that music, yeah.
1: Oh, definitely. I loved singing. So I sang in the Catholic church choir because the Protestant church didn't have one. <laughs> and so what I found out that the Catholics, you know, they have communion every Sunday, but they fight. Boy do they fight in the congregation. So I actually stopped attending after a couple of years because it had started to help me that in the name of the Christ, they were all fighting all the time. So,
0: right.
1: well, this is not something that <laughs> the Buddhists are free of either, if I may say so.
0: So this journey, so this journey of coming home and finding this place, is that still where your practice is rooted in Tibetan Buddhism from that training? Is that what you consider your foundational training, that time you spent? In the monastery there?
1: Yes and no. I mean, to understand Tibetan Buddhism, there are actually three or four levels, if you wish, because it's a a path that includes Hinayana, Mahayana, and Vajrayana Buddhism. And then at a certain level, you could say that there's even a level beyond. And if you wish, when you come to Tibetan Buddhism as a Westerner and not... Like the Tibetans, they think because they're born Tibetan, they're genetic Buddhists. They don't need to behave that way, know anything. They're just Buddhists because they have the genes. So if you come because that's your spiritual calling, it's like you're unmolded, and then it's a very rigorous training, and it's very, um, how can I say, ritualistic and strict in many, many ways. So I really wanted to excel so i really squeezed myself into the mold to the nth degree and then there came these years of tremendous betrayal when i found out that no matter what i did and what i achieved or how i excelled they just didn't want a western lay woman they want tibetan ordained males to excel period and so it is i make the difference between buddhism as an ism that means a doctrine a religious hierarchical system mm-hmm. that is meant to preserve a status quo of maintaining itself in the name of a doctrine mm. and ultimate truth which, which is what it's about so that I call the dharma to make the difference mm. so I, of course i still i never had any conflict with the dharma right the Dharma never discriminated against me. It was never against me. It was only always completely for me. However, the human beings I encountered for the most part were within the encrusted monastic hierarchies of Buddhism. Isn't means, you know, an exaggerated state of something. And that's what this rigid mold that I had to shed and also break Free from if I didn't want it to suffocate me in the end.
0: And this it interesting now hearing your story over time like this of these kind of repeated moments of connecting with the Dharma, or connecting with the heart, and then having, having this block or this. Yes. I don't know yes. what to call it, thrown in the path. And, and now, and so wanting just to shift gears a little bit now into knowing about the lily circle and how, how all of those attempts to stop your, maybe not deliberate, I don't know how you feel about them, if they were deliberate or not, but how knowing about the lily circle, then you were able to create this expression, this whole language and expression. Through your healing Can you say a bit about that? How that
1: Yeah, I think that comes It's really a coming together A flowing together Because obviously I was also doing something Professionally while I was meditating And doing all of those things Although I spent three years studying In the monastery in Dharamsala Mm -hmm. I spent four years in Closed, isolated retreat Mm -hmm. But outside of that I actually started by studying medicine And holistic medicine at this time and, you know, I think it's very hard for someone to witness women being pregnant and giving birth without not having this sensation that you just want to protect them forever. Mm. And so I I was working as a psychotherapist, herbalist, um, you know, healer with all the natural modalities and mostly then you work with women and most of them are mothers and they have little children so I felt very very protective of them in my work and one thing that I saw not only in their lives but also in my spiritual experience is the crushing of the feminine hmm. and so I felt very strongly to do something To change that, so I created the Lily Circle, which is a set, a kit, a system of flower essences. They're all made from botanical lilies. And they represent within the botanical family realm the essence of the feminine. And the feminine on all levels. So they are gynecological remedies. But they also strengthen the archetypal feminine, the Feminine divine, for instance, Madonna Lily, but also you know, feminine qualities such as intuition, dream awareness, softness, openness, gentleness, all of those things. I also found those sorely lacking in men and. So I put them together as a mandala-like circle that represents the circle of life from conception and birth through maturity to wisdom, transcendence, and death. Death here can mean, you know, outer or inner death, end of a cycle. And that has been... I never imagined it being ever an online ordering website kind of a thing. However... The women loved it so much. My students loved it so much. The body workers I was training, um, everybody getting such wonderful results. So I've been very touched and grateful for the fact that I was able to give back something to my fellow sisters, a gift of healing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I can attest to the profound... Uh, impact of these essences myself definitely I use them and have turned a lot of people onto them who all love them and use them, mostly women, although I have shared some begun to share some with some of them the men that I work with and um and it I'm curious this is a bit of an aside, but I'm curious of the sensitivity of. The sense, is there a sensitivity necessary or needed ahead of time to experience the benefits? Do you feel you know,
1: or coming coming back to the the question of what's different between men and women? Women are wired, maybe because of socialization or because they're born that way, to be in touch with their bodies. Women feel their mm-hmm. bodies; they experience. Now I have an egg here, and now something is off there, and I feel my emotions, my intuition is talking to me. Mm. They're in mm. touch with that. Men are systematically brainwashed to create a gap and a distance to their body, their emotions, their sensations, mm. their intuition. This is, by the way, even worse when you're a Tibetan monk in the monastery. Mm. You don't mm. have a mom. You're there since you're a child. Nobody even cares if you're sick or coughing, and... They don't even know what to say when they come to the doctor because they don't even have vocabulary for what's wrong with my body or this thing or even feel anything about it. So with men, it's not that flower essences don't work but they won't notice it because they're completely cut off. It's like that thing is happening over there, that thing that my body, my energy body shifts in it, shifts in my thought patterns, and so on and so forth. So basically men will miss that the flower essence is shifting something in them unless they have done that conscious work of bridging the gap. Right. So those men, yes, they will
0: immediately feel something. Right. Right, but it's not that the effect isn't happening, right?
1: Right, which you can find out from the wife and the children. They'll Correct.
0: It's less grouchy and things like that, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So how is that, how... So given the past and then this, this method that you... I don't want to call it a method. It really is like a... Um, I'm gonna say masterpiece, but it really feels like the culmination of this of your spiritual journey, like that the right livelihood embodied in this gift of the 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 flower essences. So, given mm-hmm. that past and kind of this thing has been created now, where are you now in your your spiritual journey? How has that how has that shifted for you now over time? Now that you've actually created a, a nest from which to have a safe spiritual, have a very personalized spiritual experience.
1: Yeah, I don't think that if you really understand the spiritual path that it ever feels like a nest or a haven because Mm -hmm. what you're really doing is you're trying to pull the rug out underneath ego. Mm -hmm. So it constantly Mm -hmm. feels like you're falling down a cliff, you know, into a mist Mm -hmm. like the Grand Canyon. You're not even sure there's a... Bottom to it, you know. So I think I would be pretty upset if I felt like I was in a safe nest because it would mean to me that I'm really doing something wrong. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, no, I don't look for that. Where I am since the Lily Circle, so I also did the Lily Circle when I was in New York, really studying a lot of Buddhism there. Manhattan, New York City is incredibly male driven. So it was really also kind of an antidote to that yeah, extremely exaggerated lopsidedness to Western culture. Um, And since then things also have changed. We are just going through periods virtually in the world where there are a lot of very extreme shifts and a lot of fear, and a lot of fear-mongering also. Mm -hmm. And so I actually developed another very small range, just eight essences that I call the spiritual warrior essences, because I felt that even spiritual people, they were, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but just for lack of a different way of putting it, but they were such wimps, you know? So, I mean, spirituality is about opening and, thus you become more sensitive but then it's not like oh so and so looked at me the wrong way and oh they're aggressive people in the street I mean it's supposed to make you very strong Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to I mean if you look at the ancient scriptures if you really study them they talk about the yogis and yoginis stepping up in the face of black magicians in the face of armies you Mm -hmm. don't shrink back from these kind of challenges and i guess i've always had a quite a rebellious and warrior-like side to me um even before i became a buddhist you know i'd be going into war zones on peace pilgrimages Mm -hmm. and and you know, sprinkle flower essences everywhere to try to shift the energy and just really like be up against the, well, shelling, things like that, yeah. so, um, which was maybe a little bit extreme and crazy, but I'm very glad I did it. And I, I just felt like I needed to also give the world some flower essences for real courage and to stand up in the face of challenge. Mm and negativity, which is the theme right now. We'll maybe be coming out of it again, I hope so. I hope we'll get through this crazy phase, <laughs> to another more peaceful phase. Um, so yeah, my, my work is ongoing, and I'm really trying to also train people more. Um, I have never been asked to be a spiritual teacher because my brother and sister buddhists think i look ordinary so therefore it's very clear the um that i have nothing to say i've been officially asked to shut up when people ask me to explain about emptiness you know which i only studied three years in a monastery in tibetan from the ancient <laughs> so sh- and the reason was shut up you're a woman huh. So um, I'm not dumb, I learn fast. I said, you know what, don't bother even trying to teach Westerners, they don't want to hear you. I don't look Asian, I don't want a transgender operation to look like a Tibetan monk, so I just leave it to other people. So what I can do right now, I can train people in healing themselves in a spiritual context that's outside of um, a spiritual hierarchy, dogma, prefixed ideas and the moment I'm with plants and healing I magically look right they all think I have something smart to say about that so that's what I can do now
0: yeah well and you do and I can say to the <laughs> and I can say to the spiritual uh, warrior essences that definitely when I was here in Paris in the, in February and March yeah. I was literally dependent on them to help keep my auric field and keep my center. Because just going out into the world here at that time, so much better now, would be draining. I would come back and just to go out to get lunch, I'd come back and have to take a nap. And they were so powerfully keeping me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: just for the context of the listeners, that was after the terrorist attacks. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So... And I know, and also just in hearing your story a bit more, I know that, um, I would say that you are a spiritual teacher in teaching through your experience. And each of these things you've created is a way to support other people on their own journeys. That's been my experience of working with you. And I know that when I was transitioning out of one, Just to back up a second, what I really like about your story is the strength of you throughout each of these, the you of you, throughout each of these different studies or different communities. And just, you know, for for all of us on the spiritual path to know that you continue on through that. Right. um, And finding your way. And that definitely in working with you i had you helped to provide that support for me to transition from one group that i had outgrown into another um more authentic spiritual path which is something that i think i, I know ramdas himself talks about it um often that you know each each teacher is your teacher right mm-hmm. <laughs> It's not that there's a bad teacher and a good teacher, but that that but somehow this helping each other to stay true and authentic to our spiritual journey, I feel like that's a lot of what I've gotten from working with you and with your essences.
1: Yeah, I think one of, you know, being also a psychotherapist trained in looking at dysfunctional groups, one of the problem with religions as exaggerated dogmatic mm-hmm. institutions is that they somehow create the illusion that once you step out of the sangha or the congregation, you step out of the love and grace of the divine. Mm-hmm. And um, it does feel that way because the group projection of projecting that as true is so powerful that it Mm. makes true. And I think one very hard thing is to remind oneself that that is not true. I think for me, this is where it's like a blessing that I started as a child in a completely non-spiritual and non-philosophical context. Mm because I can always fall back to the knowledge that I had all these profoundly spiritual experiences. You don't need to know a chakra exists for it to open, you know? So you don't need to have heard about Shakti to experience it. So I think that helped me. You've, You've been asking how I've been able to always pick myself up by the bootstraps. I think it's my personality, but I think I think there may be three factors. It's my personality, it's how I am, I just never give up. Um, I think coming from a dysfunctional family really helps because you have to just fight for your survival. And then coming from a universal spiritual matrix place into the religious dogma helps you to know That not all is lost when you leave again and you're back in this natural matrix. Although there's the dogma is telling you that now you got it all wrong. You know. Right the sadhana word by word, you know, the visualization isn't exactly right, you know, for each eyelash and things like that. And then there's the moment where you say to yourself, So what? You know, and that there is spiritual work beyond that, like for instance, we we talked about it briefly, the Haiti clinic we've been doing. It is such spiritually powerful work to do social service, to save people's lives, you know? So what, you never have a direct vision of some divinity, which isn't the real point anyways. But the power of saving human lives taking care of those who are hungry those who are sick and with no body else to look after them mm. that is unbelievably powerful mm. and carries you more than a hundred thousand one million mantras or whatever number
0: you want to put to it right it's like a love serve remember yes. um so as we this has been wonderful And uh, just as we wrap up, I've been asking everyone I speak with if they were to offer a piece of wisdom or advice for women and girls that are on the spiritual path currently, what would it be? Trust your heart. Trust your heart. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: in a nutshell, if I had to make it longer then I would say, trust your heart don't ever let a male
0: or female spiritual teacher talk you out of the wisdom of your heart Hmm. that's wonderful Mm -hmm. great, thank you so much Yulia we'll have uh, links to Yulia's website and uh, books and flower essences and um, I look forward to Speaking to you again soon. Yes, thank, thank you. you so much for your time.
1: From Ramdas to Sharon Salzberg. Be Here Now Network is home to over 17 amazing podcasts. But we can't do it without your continued support. Donate at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash fundraiser to receive an exclusive gift and help us continue to deliver over five fresh podcasts each week.